Hello, it's 11th of August 2017 and this is episode 38 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? I have had a great Star Wars week. <laughs> There's been so much stuff to talk about. Yeah. It's like an avalanche of Star Wars news. Yeah. I feel very sated right now, which <laughs> is a really nice feeling. <laughs> yeah. People keep talking about maybe we'll get a trailer and I'm like, I could totally do without a trailer. Like it would be nice. Obviously I wouldn't complain, but there is so much stuff to absorb here. That yeah. I'm, I'm pretty content. Yeah, no, totally. I think we're very well nourished. Like <laughs> we we are kind of almost being disingenuous if we start to complain and say we want more content. We want more content. It's like we're going to turn into like Mr. Creosote from The Meaning of Life, and we're just going to get bigger and bigger until we explode. Yeah, I already feel pretty rude because I'll be like out with people, and I'll just quickly check my phone to see if there's something more, <laughs> and there usually is something more, and I'm like, okay, I have to stop. Because real life is more important than Star Wars. Yeah, it's a really bad addiction sometimes. Like yeah. I can feel it just like sizzling, like beneath the surface of my thoughts, like almost constantly. I know. I'll be like talking to someone, and all of a sudden I'll be like, "Star Wars." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just about Star Wars. Yeah. Like, oh wait, real life. Got to get back to people, interactions, work. Yeah. And there's always that sting when you talk to normals and you're reminded of normals. like <laughs> and you're reminded of like how irrelevant and like dis uninteresting all this stuff is to them. Really? It's like, uh... <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. why we the podcast is good, because we're both very, very obsessed and then we can yeah. indulge each other's obsessions and make each other feel normal in a sense. So yes, it's all yeah. great. I've been hanging out with family this week and people have been saying, oh, so you have the Star Wars podcast. How do you find <laughs> enough things to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Like, you would be surprised. Yeah, that's what my dad asks me. He's like, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> he really doesn't. It's the level of crazy attention to detail. and I think a lot of people don't realize that there are also Star Wars books and TV shows and stuff. Yeah, so, that, and, that's and completely off the radar for most people. Yeah, and I also was talking to people about um, Lord and Miller being replaced on the Han Solo project. Some people don't even know that Han Solo is going to be a movie, and then other people who do had no idea about the directors being replaced. So even though we felt like it was huge news and it had kind of reached mainstream media, most mm. people, that just passes them by. Like, yeah. they don't care. Exactly. I think it's true of the majority. Like, someone I met recently, she literally said the words, I think cinema is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, cinema in general? Yes. Oh, I guess some people just aren't into films. Yeah, and that to me is like an almost blasphemous statement. <laughs> but different I... strokes for different folks. Exactly, yeah, and I need to accept that because we all have different things that interest us and that's okay. But yeah, like to many people, these things are just completely off their radar. They are unaware of them. Like. Yep. As someone I spoke to recently, they had no idea The Last Jedi had had any trailers. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> to be fair, people will probably find this hard to believe, but I honestly, I think I maybe watched The Force Awakens trailer once before going to see the film. <gasps> like, I was just so not excited about it. I don't think I watched the teaser at all. And I, I didn't watch the behind the scenes footage. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. 
So And look where you are now, Kirsty. I know. Look where you are now. Really fallen down the rabbit hole. <sighs> but what a beautiful and I was no rabbit real hole. fan. No, no, you're clearly a, a fake Star Wars fangirl. <laughs> you don't belong, we shall shun you. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure that is what some people would think. Yeah. <laughs> well those people are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um before I get into all the standard stuff, I need to explain the situation that is currently ongoing because EW have been doing that exciting and maddening thing of staggering their coverage of The Last Jedi. So they haven't released everything at once. They've released it across eight different articles. And so far we've had seven of those articles. We are currently waiting on article number eight, which is Tales from the Dark Side. And it's about Kylo Ren. Um, Yeah, no, so it's about Kylo and Phasma and some other stuff. that We might get some hooks in there too. Oh yeah, no, potentially. He wasn't named. I know Kylo and Phasma were named. And something else was mentioned but i can't remember what um really yeah yeah there was let me find it <laughs> we've had snow we've had the guards yep oh hmm. god i hope anthony bresnikin doesn't pop up and start talking right okay so it's tales from the dark side where will the last jedi find kylo ren and captain Family phasma is super- and a morning chewy oh no <laughs> oh Chewie I'm hoping the Porks can provide some healing therapy for him yeah I definitely think that's what they're going for it's like when you go to a pet in zoo and you're getting like a <laughs> guinea pig to hold on your lap and then yeah. it suddenly makes the world a magical and beautiful place again it does help my my puppy helps me through some hard times Oh, yeah having a small little furry person to love <laughs> I just hope that Chewie doesn't actually eat the Porks have you seen those close-ups people have had him with feathers in his mouth <laughs> yeah i did wonder if that would be like a weird comic relief kind of thing but also people will be really attached to the porgs and they might hate chewy <laughs> they'll have to like make the porgs like monsters somehow they'll have to be like cannibalistic or something um, too reminiscent of the ewoks though yeah Maybe that's they true cute little critters and then but then chewy's a monster <laughs> i don't know them. he's he's gotta eat <laughs> Chewie is a monster. He rips people's arms off. <laughs> yeah, but he rips the arms off bad people, not cute little furry animals. <laughs> I don't know. I see a lot of fan art about um, like Ray being friends with the Porgs, and I think she would find them cute, but also she'd probably hunt them and eat them because <laughs> I think she's probably very practical. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Right. So yeah, basically the point of this is that we're constantly refreshing the EW Twitter feed because we are imminently expecting this new article about the dark side people. Yeah, I want to be like, breaking news! (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So if you hear either of us start hyperventilating and interrupting the other person, then that is why. It's because there's a new article. And you'll get to experience it with us as we experience it. Although watch now, as it doesn't come out for like five hours, like once we've stopped podcasting. <laughs> it might take us five hours to get through what we currently have. So. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I just can't. Um, <laughs> right, so to get into the normal business, um, if you haven't already, please do rate and review us on iTunes, because that really helps us out and we appreciate it immensely. 
Um, and thank you very much if you have already gone to the effort of doing so. You're a diamond. We love you very much. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions for the podcast, please do email them to scavengershoard at gmail.com. And on one shining day, we will actually answer them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's just so much stuff. We might have a quiet week sometime soon. Although I guess it's only three weeks until Force Friday, so. Ah, my bank balance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I'm getting my deposit back soon. <laughs> <laughs> I know with that screwing. No, no, I wouldn't spend that much. Um, but yeah, no, so it's fun times ahead, basically, for Star Wars fans. It's a very good time of year. Right, then to move into news... Um, obviously, the big news of this week is the Entertainment Weekly coverage of The Last Jedi. And as I mentioned, that comprises eight articles overall, of which we currently have seven, um, breaking down different aspects of the film. And we also got a bunch of new photos, which is really cool because they're all fresh looks at the characters. And I've seen lots of people complaining, saying, oh, they don't offer us anything new. Ugh. But I'm sorry if you're not delighted and entertained by a picture of Kylo Ren looking extremely sad, then that's your problem. It's not a problem with EW, okay? So I, I wanted to make that clear. So no, no, I mean, no. if people look back at what they gave us for The Force Awakens, it was the same kind of thing. It's fluff. It's just stuff to tide you over in the meantime. Yeah. But they already know we're going to go and watch the movie. <laughs> so... Yeah, exactly. Like, what do people expect? Do they think we're going to get like a shot of Rey and Kylo engaged in lightsaber combat on the lava rivulets of Mustafar. They're not you, going to show that to us at this point. Do you remember really when Harrison Ford accidentally spoiled that Ray and Kylo were going to have a fight? <laughs> oh yeah, wasn't he like asked what's your favorite yeah. part in the film? <laughs> yeah. I, know, I think it was from like the official Star Wars account as well. He was just <laughs> tweeting, and it was like, oh my god, <laughs> he just spoiled the climax of the movie. <laughs> oh, bless him. We yeah. probably wouldn't oh. get anything like that. Yeah, all those two characters who are not actually meant to interact. <laughs> because seriously, besides that, they were not acknowledging that they even spoke to each other, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the kind of thing to keep in mind, right? Like, they're, they're going to tell us stuff that we can reasonably infer from the end of The Force Awakens. So, yeah, Luke looked, like, grumpy and miserable and, like, he didn't really want Rey there. And, like, Finn's left with the Resistance and he's got to figure out what he wants to do. Like, it's all stuff that it's not going to be too shocking. It's just yeah. nice. Exactly. Um, so yeah, there are a bunch of articles. We're going to take the more interesting articles one by one and read them out and then have an in-depth discussion later on. But this part is really just about having a general chat about our feelings on the coverage, our favourite bits, what photos we liked best, all that kind of jazz. Um, so yeah, I guess a simple question to start off with, Kirsty, is like, what photos jumped out at you? Um... Let's have a look. Oh, I really liked a lot of these. Um, I really loved seeing those nuns for the first time. Yes. <laughs> um, Chewie and the Porgs, I can always have more of those. Um, I loved the shot of Finn flying. Mm. That was really exciting. Yes. But, of course, anyone who knows me is going to know that my favourite was Kylo looking like a sad lost puppy again. <laughs> I can never have enough of those. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's satisfying. Yeah. And I think the new hair looks better than we were giving it credit for, to be honest. Like, I know it's not as voluminous, which is sad. It's not, like, curly and primped within an inch of its life, but still delightfully glossy. 
Yeah, I don't quite get everyone saying like, oh, his hair sucks now. I'm like, it still looks good to me. Yeah. It's not the same as it was when he unmasked, but that was a very special moment in that movie. (laughs) Like it was supposed to emphasize all that stuff. Yeah. We know what he looks like now. So. Exactly. Yeah. No, his hair can speak for itself. It doesn't need extra adornment and primping. Yeah. Um, he, it, it's lost the va va boom because it's weighed down with his remorse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> his existential pain. Oh, God. That's so extra and so <laughs> Kylo. I love it. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. No, for these pictures, God. Yeah. I really like all of them. They just give me such a cool vibe. Um, the one of Finn flying is really cool because, as far as we can tell, he wasn't able to fly in The Force Awakens mm. because he needed Poe to fly him out of um, the finalizer. That looks like he's going to be flying on crate, right? Yeah, exactly. So I reckon he must have lessons at some point like to learn how to fly, which is cool. And that might support the idea that there's a time jump in the film, which there is a bit of evidence for. Nothing completely solid, but there is... There are scattered reasons to think that might be the case. Um, and yeah, if so, that'd be cool. And that would be a really good way to show the passage of time and Finn's progression as a character, getting a new skill. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like how dislike miserable Luke looks. Oh, yeah. It's like, get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. He's even like hunched over like that. All he needs is like a rake in his hand that so he can <laughs> shake at people. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And yeah, this scenery is so beautiful. Like mm-hmm. Ireland. The Irish tourist board must be thrilled with this. Oh, must yeah. Must be like, oh, diamond. It's like <laughs> the best thing ever. Um, the shot of Ray, it doesn't tell us anything at all. Like, if it tells us anything, I'd say that's one of the very earlier shots in the film, since her costume's identical to what she's wearing at the end of TFA. Right. So that might be her like WTF face. It's like, what the hell, Luke? Yeah, who is this guy? I thought yeah. he was going to be the amazing, incredible Luke Skywalker. Yeah. That sounds like something you could put on posters. Yeah. Like, for Magician Luke. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm like you. The one of Kylo's my favourite. <laughs> oh, I feel so superficial, but yeah, it's just everything. It's not superficial. He's our favourite character. Yeah, no, it's true. Like and it goes beyond his black glossy mane. I also really like the fact that they're just constantly peddling this like sad puppy Kylo <laughs> look. Oh him. yeah, like they. I mean, I've yet to see him looking really scary. Some people say that he looked scary in the teaser trailer, but you can barely see his face because he's kind of got the saber in front of him. Yeah. So it's hard to gauge what his actual expression is. And I guess if you're fighting, yeah, you're gonna look a bit on the the intimidating side. But yeah. Ray, I'd say he Ray looks determined. Like he doesn't look particularly evil. Yeah, Ray looks like that when she's fighting too. Like you yeah. have to, I don't know. So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then there are a few articles that we're not actually going to read out in full because I don't know. I guess they were a bit fluffy, and I love Anthony Breslin. He does great stars coverage, but he does tend to find a way to like take three sentences of actual interview and then weave it into like a 2000 word story <laughs> yeah it's a skill i've gotta say yeah it's an impressive skill um but yeah basically it makes it a bit tedious sometimes to actually get to the meat of what's being said and what's actually reliable 
because Bresnikin, like all journalists, he has a habit of like peppering these articles with like his own theories and his own inferences about what's going on and about where the characters stand. It's like he's still peddling Ray Kenobi, um, bless him, in the articles. <laughs> which is fine more power to him like every anyone could believe any theory but it's not like that should be taken as concrete evidence in support of Ray Kenobi because it's just his opinion it's not like Ryan Johnson said you're onto something there mate keep keep a note of that um that is not what happened <laughs> mm. yeah it's just something to keep in mind when you're reading anything like this right it's yeah the same with the Vanity Fair stuff so exactly always have that critical thinking hat on um, but yeah, of the new characters that were introduced, what did you think of those little froggy nuns? Apparently they don't like Luke much. I am excited to see what they're actually going to be like. I'm guessing they're not going to play a huge part in the movie. Yes. But I also just found it really funny because there's been a lot, I don't know how often like people who listen to us keep up with the general climate of the fandom, but after the whole Force of Destiny thing, we've talked about this, there was a lot of like, backlash against oh, all these female characters blah, blah, blah. so i kind of just love that ryan johnson wrote an all-female society into this movie yes no that's fantastic <laughs> so, yes little lesbian fish nuns <laughs> up to who don't yes. want luke there get off the <laughs> island man you don't belong here yeah i love that there's all there seem to be all these different levels of get off my lawn so the nuns are apparently get off my lawn to luke and then luke is got off my lawn to ray Mm-hmm. And then Ray is going to be get off my lawn to no <laughs> Kylo, yeah maybe, <laughs> which I would love so much. Yeah, I'm just interested to see what what role they're going to play because I'm guessing it has something to do with like preserving the the tree and the temple and like the yeah. if it's the journal of the wills that we've got there. So yeah, they probably won't play a huge part, but we'll we'll see them and what they're about. Exactly. Yeah. No. Um. I think in the article it said they're there to preserve the structures of the island. So yeah, that definitely sounds like you're thinking along the right lines. Sorry, I got excited then. I saw that the EW feed had updated with like four new tweets. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. So like, there's also been all these rampant rumours of a trailer potentially come today and that is because exactly a year ago today, the first proper trailer for Rogue One broke. Mm. So that's why people are getting like, oh my god, oh my god, hype, hype, hype. Yeah. Um, And it's not impossible, but I certainly don't want to take it for granted because I hate crushing disappointment. And I'd only be dis- disappointed myself if I built built it up too much. Um, but yeah, EW just got my hopes up and then shattered them again with nonsense about the, the disaster artist. And BB19's Jessica also reacts to learning she was not Josh's target in our Q&A. So, what? Very mysterious. Oh, it's Big Brother. Oh, I didn't okay. know they had Big Brother in America. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, this is not the Rachel Reed CW's Twitter feed podcast. Oh my. Let's move swiftly on. Um, how about the fact that we're not going to find out much about Snoke, Kirsty? Does that please you? Um, Isn't that kind of what Ryan said with the Vanity Fair stuff as well? I mean, I think I... it was said in some way, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, I ju- it doesn't bother me because we'll find out what we're supposed to know at that point in the story. Like, yeah. stories unfold gradually and you know what you need to know at whatever point the writer tells you that you need yeah. to know it. Um, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not someone who is particularly interested in Snoke theories. 
Um, I believe Ryan when he says that he's a new character and when Pablo and Andy Serkis say it as well. So I'm just, I'm interested to see what role he'll play within the narrative, but um, no, he's not really a big factor of why I'm so interested in this film. Yeah, no, sure, that makes perfect sense. Like, I've always known you're not the biggest Snoke stan. Um, so... <laughs> no, I'm definitely not a Snoke stan. <laughs> Oh, I love that word so much. It's great. Um, yeah, no, I really like beyond the lol factor of Snoke wearing glittery golden robes, which I do genuinely think is hilarious. I really couldn't care less about that character. So I'm just kind of like a solid meh. <laughs> I just don't care. Um, yeah, and... Then finally, another of the articles that went on about the relationship between Leia and Poe, and it kind of implied that they have like an almost like familial relationship, where Leia's like mentoring Poe and sees him as her successor and is training him to almost like take her place. Um, like, how did you feel about that? So I've got some messages on Tumblr from people who are a bit upset by the implication that Poe might be almost like a substitute son to Leia. And I understand where those people are coming from, but I don't think it's correct. I don't think that's the angle that will come across in the film. Yeah, I don't think it's saying that he's literally going to replace Ben. No. Um, And if anyone's been kind of keeping up with the Poe comics, I I don't read them, but I see stuff about them on the internet. And I have friends who are really into them. And yeah, that definitely goes into deepening the bond between Leia and Poe. And Bloodline as well kind of alluded to the fact that both Leia and Han enjoyed mentoring and like taking young people under their wings. So it's not really that much of a surprise and it totally makes sense for where they were going to need to take Poe as a character because they are going to have to have the theme of these younger characters um, gradually like taking the place of the OT3, right? Mm -hmm. So it totally makes sense for Poe to kind of be leading the resistance um we don't know exactly know how that's going to go it's probably not going to go smoothly but um yeah that just seems to make sense um and i i don't know like i've seen those behind the scenes shots of like oscar and carrie hugging and everything kissing and it's like yeah it's nice yeah so no they seem to have a really nice relationship and i think it's also important to remind people that it's not like um Ben Solo went bad, became Kylo Ren, and then Han and Leia were like, right, okay, let's find some like quasi-foster kids because our own, our real son is like a complete screw-up, so we want a better one. It's not what happened. Have you read Bloodline, you much more get the impression that they really like pine for that relationship with their child, but because he had to be sent away, because he had these special powers, they can't have their son with them, so instead they provide that almost parental support to the other young people who are around so like hand mentors young pilots for example it's not a question of oh our real son is a bad egg let's get a better one it's more like let's channel our parental urges in a positive direction in the absence of our actual child who sadly can't be here of course are people actually thinking that that's what the implication there is some people who contacted me did, yes. Oh, okay. Everyone needs to calm down. Like, I do what you want, obviously. <laughs> I'm not, like, going to try and, like, order other fans around. But that's not what 
Anthony Bresnikan is trying to say there, and it's not what Oscar Isaac's saying. He's not like, oh, Kylo Ren is suddenly unimportant. Yeah. I think it was people, like, getting heart palpitations from, like, Anthony's reference to, like, Ben has gone totally over to the dark side or something like that. But <laughs> it was so funny because, like, within 10 minutes of that article being published, someone went to Matt Martin saying, oh, is this accurate? I don't like this. And Matt Martin was like, don't pay too much attention to this. <laughs> Like, guys, why? Why does this keep on happening? Why are there always these damage control situations? Yeah, I don't really understand that either because, like, they've made it more than clear through all the canon material so far that Kylo is still conflicted more so than ever. Um, so I, I don't blame Anthony Bresnikan for, like, writing what he did because he's just a journalist writing an article. Like, yeah. he's not going to pay attention to those canon details the way that fans are. But because fans know that, I don't know why they then have to run to the story group for clarification on everything. <laughs> I am just so not a fan of people festering the story group about everything. <laughs> I and really I, don't understand why Matt and Pablo don't just make the oh, Twitter feed I know, private. that's the thing. It's like, you don't need to answer all of this stuff. Like, surely this is taking up a big chunk of your time. I think a part of them has to love it. It has to. Otherwise, why would they just persist in replying to people and keeping those yes. lines of communication open? No, for me, it it's almost seems to like encourage the panic about every little thing. <laughs> it does, but they, <laughs> I think they take a perverse glee in it, Kirsty. <laughs> Maybe. Pablo definitely does. I'm mm. not sure about Matt. Matt seems like a sweetheart. <laughs> Pablo is just salty at this point. Right, so then the first thing that we get into in a really like meaty and deep way is the story on the interactions between Ray and Luke. Um, this is a somewhat abbreviated version of the article, though it's still very long, because <laughs> this is Anthony Brosnikan's talent. <laughs> Bless him. Um, yeah, so I will recite, and then we can discuss. <clears throat> Luke definitely does not give Ray the warm welcome he received when he went in search of Alec Guinness's Ben Kenobi in 1977's original Star Wars. She is warned. She is given an explanation. Nevertheless. She's so hopeful to everything, Ridley says. And obviously there's a hint of, what the hell? This rejection hits Ray's abandonment issues. Hard. As we know, the young scavenger was ditched as a child on the hard scrabble junkyard world of Jakku by unknown parents and left for years to survive on her own. But lately, she has gotten accustomed to making fast friends like BB-8, Finn, Chewbacca and General Leia Organa. Even the murderous Kylo Ren became fascinated by her strength and resilience after kidnapping her. Ha! <laughs> Regardless of everything else, she's been welcomed. No one ever really turns away from her, Ridley says. That changes when she arrives on Act 2. Oh, on the Star Wars show, did you hear how um, Andy said it? She said, like, Ashto. Yeah. And I'm I was, like, heartbroken. The, the <laughs> correct pronunciation. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to stick to Act 2 for now, because I don't like Ashto, but I might be forced to say it. But So, yeah, before I'm forced, <laughs> let's just roll with it. Luke's brush-off makes Ray miss the gruff warmth of Han Solo, Ridley says, giving us a peek inside the head of her character. Oh my god, this other man that I lost within a couple of days was somewhat of a father figure. Now he's gone, and instead I'm with this grumpy guy on an island who doesn't <laughs> want me here. Sounds like the perfect setup for a romance. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Rook. <laughs> my fave ship. My fave ship. But Ridley says Ray is also placing huge expectations on Luke. She arrives on the island of Actu, site of a primitive Jedi temple, not to become a hero herself, but to shove Skywalker back into the fight. I think it's more about pulling him, to be honest, rather than shoving him. Like shoving makes it sound like she's going to push him off the cliff. Um, <sighs> I don't think one girl who he doesn't know. I can swear Daisy is constantly smuggling in things that say she is not a Skywalker, like whenever she can. But I will also fully admit that I'm projecting. Turning up with a lightsaber is going to make him go, "Oh shit, yeah, of course, I'll get back into the action." Ridley says, "The broken warrior, the last Jedi, Wito director." Why on Dodson inherited a Luke Skywalker who had banished himself, but apart from nebulous hints of a Jedi Academy gone wrong, Jedi Temple in the J.J. Abrams film, no one got a full explanation for the character's disappearance. The very first step in the writing of this was figuring out why he's on the island. Johnson says, We know that he is not a coward. He's not just hiding because he's scared. And we also know that he must know his friends are in danger. He must know the galaxy needs him, and he's sitting on this island in the middle of nowhere. That had to be an answer. It had to be something where Luke Skywalker believes he's doing the right thing. And the process of figuring out what that is and unpacking it is the journey for Rey. Hamill hints that Luke has begun to doubt his own connection to the Force, wondering if he has been misreading it all this time. Luke made a huge mistake in thinking that his nephew was the chosen one, so he invested everything he had in Kylo, much like Obi-Wan did with my character, Hamill says, and he is betrayed with tragic consequences. Luke feels responsible for that. That's the primary obstacle he has to rejoining the world and his place in the Jedi hierarchy, you know? It's that guilt, that feeling that it's his fault, that he didn't detect the darkness in him until it was too late. But there's more to it than we know. There's also more to it than the film itself will reveal. Hidden history! There's massive amounts of backstory that is left to your imagination, and I couldn't do my job without figuring out what that was, Hamill says. Since it's not really important to the main story as a whole, a lot of it is just for my own process. I talked with Ryan about it and went into this elaborate scenario of what happened to Luke after the end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and that's where my abbreviated version of the story cuts off. Whew, so a lot to take in there. But what were your main takeaways, Kirsty, beyond my stupid voices? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess a lot of it kind of went over ground that we've discussed as well. This idea that everyone in The Force Awakens was very much enamoured with Rey. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of need to have that contrast now to provide some kind of challenge for her. Because it's it's so great that she made these attachments like, yeah, you know, she came from this total loner existence, and as Anthony notes, even uh, Kylo Ren was fascinated by her. Yeah. Thank you for that, Anthony. Exactly. Um, so yeah, now she needs to have the opposite end to kind of challenge her and kind of take her onto the next step of the journey. Because he, we've said again before, um, Luke's relationship with her has to be different from Han's, and if we've had. Um, Kylo Ren saying you feel like Han Solo is the father you never had Mm. Um, Luke has to offer something different from that so it's probably not going to be antagonistic he's not going to be like Rey's villain but there's going to be something there that challenges her and makes her grow and it has to be something that works for Luke's journey as well because they have had to change him from the Luke that people thought 
he would be at the end of Return of the Jedi because a lot's happened and they're alluding to this backstory that we won't get all of it. And that makes sense because they're probably going to do like TV shows and books and everything to fill in the gaps in between. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it all sounds like it makes sense, like setting the scene for the story. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, they're all really cool comments as far as I'm concerned and I really like the vibe I'm getting off them. Like you, I think it makes complete sense that we need a character who like doesn't look at Ray as this like magical, wonderful, beautiful, special person because that is pretty much how everyone responded to her in The Force Awakens in one way, shape or form. So it's gonna be cool to see someone just like brush her off and go, Ah, get off my lawn. Like we need Ray to experience that and I think the article like alludes to the fact that it's going to cause her to like go back to those feelings of rejection like going way back to her childhood and how she was abandoned by her parents um so i think that's really rich territory to explore because you even see that idea briefly in the force awakens because when finn leaves ray you can tell she's then forced to think about when she was a little girl and left behind and crying out for her parents to come back for her because the present and the past are linked like that. There's a reciprocal relationship. So it would be cool to see that touched upon. And yeah, I guess the main thing that people have been talking about with this is obviously that brief, almost throwaway reference to Ben Solo being the chosen one. Obviously, there's a lot of grey area over what is meant by the use of chosen one in this context. Mm-hmm. Um we know it wasn't like accidental. I believe that Anthony Bresnikan tweeted out that Ryan used ch- the term chosen one as well. So it wasn't just like a casual reference by Hamill, as far as we know. Um, it seems like it was, it seems like the words were carefully chosen. Um, but yeah, that raises lots of questions because we've already had the chosen one in Anakin Skywalker. And what does it mean if there's another chosen one? So, yeah, lots of questions. I know you're at the moment choosing to go with the idea that he meant it in a very like general way, like just like I pinned all my hopes on you as like the star pupil as the hope of the new generation, that kind of thing. Is that right, Kirsty? Yeah, you know, I've talked before about the different archetypes that are kind of embodied in Kylo and it there are definitely elements of like the prodigal son and divine child and you can kind of consider those elements of the chosen one that um as mark says he pinned all his hopes on this young person who had a lot of power and potential and was on the good side and then he falls um so that's kind of the trope that's at work there it doesn't really matter to me so much whether he's talking about the literal chosen one or not but i know that's super important for lots of the fans yes Um, people very into their prophecies um i'm content to just wait for the film and see if that's actually where they're going Mm -hmm. um because for me, it's just kind of more interesting to see the the general tropes and archetypes that they're playing with. And then I can kind of speculate as to where things are going, yeah. the overall arcs of the characters. So the specifics are just less interesting for me, but I totally get that that's other people's jam. Mm. Yeah, no, sure. Like, I did actually write out a scenario about what might have happened if like Luke did actually like legit consider Ben a kind of chosen one. Do you want to hear it? Sure. <laughs> okay. I promise I'll try and keep silly voices to a minimum, though. They probably won't always be extinguished entirely. Okay. Luke Skywalker, eager to get everything right and restart the Jedi Order on the best possible footing following the downfall of the Empire, 
travels the galaxy in search of force lore. He finds many manuscripts and ancient texts scattered across the galaxy and draws them all together into a library. He studies them with the assistance of members of the Church of the Force as he begins to assemble a fledgling Jedi Order. Study of the text reveals many prophecies and predictions, some of which seem frighteningly prescient. In particular, one text contains the prophecy of the Chosen One, which Luke quickly realises pertains to his father. The same text indicates that the Chosen One is, in fact, not a single person, but part of an ongoing cycle. Balance can never be perpetual, since imbalance and crisis will always inevitably disrupt the true order of things. Luke is tormented and frustrated by this, and despite his initial sense of optimism and security, he gradually becomes more concerned by the idea that there is an impending darkness waiting to return and destroy everything he and his friends fought so hard for. Dark side cults keep on springing up to fill the void left by the Sith, and no amount of preaching seems to reach them. <sighs> they refuse to see the dark side as the evil corruption that Luke understands it to be. Luke's fight against the dark side gradually, gradually evolves into a crusade, with Luke and his followers battling darksiders across the galaxy. Luke becomes steadily more insular and fanatical, more adamant than ever that the light side is the source of all that is good in the galaxy. He feels the responsibility for the galaxy's well-being as a heavy burden he carries on his shoulders, and grows increasingly ascetic and detached from day-to-day -day concerns. This remains the state of things until he receives word from his sister of challenges with his nephew Ben. She claims the boy is troubled, plagued by visions, and unable to control his force powers. Leia takes Ben to Luke, who perceives the boy's torment, particularly his visions of the light side, as a sign that he has been singled out for a special purpose by the Force. Luke convinces Leia to let him train the boy to control his powers, all the while intending to prepare Ben for his destiny as the next chosen one. Brother and sister keep secrets from one another. Leia doesn't tell Luke of the darkness she has sensed in Ben, afraid of how her light side zealot of a brother will respond and Luke doesn't inform Leia of the weight of Ben's destiny, believing she might prevent Ben from going with him if told the truth of his intentions. Stuck in the middle, Ben feels betrayal from all sides. He feels rejected by his mother because of being sent away from home, and he feels completely overwhelmed and intimidated by his uncle's expectations of him. He feels as if no one understands him, least of all Luke, who imposes his own views onto Ben instead of taking into account the boy's feelings and descriptions of his visions. It takes years of intense training and indoctrination before Ben comes to see things as Luke does, perceiving himself as the next chosen one, following in the footsteps of his uncle, and the preordained saviour of the galaxy. He takes his responsibility seriously and selflessly dedicates himself to his uncle's plans for him. What Luke fails to realise is that there is a seed of darkness within Ben Solo that grows with the boy's arrogance. The more convinced Ben becomes of his grand destiny as the next chosen one, the more vulnerable he becomes to the lure of the voice he has had in his head since childhood, Snoke. Snoke teases Ben with whispers of Luke's lies and deceptions, telling the young man that Luke follows a perversion of the Force that denies its innate dualism. Snoke tells Ben that the darkness within him is part of his nature, rather than a shameful secret to be hidden and suppressed, that his power is derived from the perfect balance of light and dark that he embodies, rather than the light side alone. By denying his darkness, Skywalker is denying Ben his full potential and keeping him from fulfilling his destiny and saving the galaxy at large. Snoke reminds Ben of Luke's crusades, of Luke's crusades against the dark side. 
battles where whole vill villages were decimated in the name of the light side, and Ben's anger and resentment grow. Under Snake's influence, Ben becomes more and more convinced that his uncle is the true evil facing the galaxy. Radicalised, he starts to plot the destruction of his uncle's Jedi Order. He struggles with this choice and won't take the final step until he learns, in a moment of spectacular clarity, that the biggest deception of Skywalker was his failure to tell him that the Jedi Anakin Skywalker, his grandfather, was also Darth Vader, Lord of the Sith. This knowledge emboldens Ben to finally act on his plans and conduct the massacre at the Jedi Temple. With this, he begins his own crusade against cults that believe rigidly in the light side of the Force. In doing so, he is convinced that he is enacting his destiny as the galaxy's saviour. Ben sinks further and further into his own brand of zealotry, kept on a tight leash by Snoke and subject to incessant praise and flattery that do little to calm the doubt that continues to eat away at him. Luke, heartbroken, leaves everything behind to go into retreat, feeling responsible for having unleashed a new dark force onto the galaxy in the form of his nephew. Luke desperately seeks answers that will allow him to divine the true will of the Force and put things right again. Finis. Oh, I think all that stuff sounds very likely. Thank you. But um, It's I fan fiction. Do... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of thing that totally makes sense based on what we've heard, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, Luke is, you know, after the end of the Return of the Jedi, he's, like, very much a strong believer in the 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 light side of the force he sees his father come back we know from bloodline that leia is almost like kind of shocked by how evangelical he seems about how certain he was that vader was redeemed and became anakin again yeah um, and then all of that was kept from ben mm. so i don't need it to be like a literal chosen one thing again it's just again it's that archetype of luke putting all of his faith in ben yeah um putting so much pressure on him and then it all coming crashing down when Ben realizes that they've been lying to him. Oh, and sure. that explains that duality, like that conflict of light and dark in him that he's always felt. And as Mark's saying, like he doesn't recognize that in him until he's too late. Like it's kind of repeating the mistakes of Yoda as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like all of that I can definitely see happening. It's just, again, like coming back to the article, so much of it is just not going to get explained in the movies. Oh, sure. I feel like yeah. fans kind of have to make their peace with that because... I know it's been like two years of people building up these elaborate stories, but yeah. they're going to give us like one or two lines to <laughs> yes. explain things. Yeah, exactly. So. Like if anything like what I said happens in the film, then it's not going to be conveyed in such a detailed fashion. Right. <laughs> it will literally be like two or three lines. <laughs> it will be like, Luke never understood me. <laughs> no, it, it wouldn't be like that because that would be too much like Anakin and that is not one of the better aspects of the prequels. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, no, you're totally right. Like, I don't think it needs to be a literal chosen one. I guess at the moment, I my gut kind of tells me that there will be something beyond Luke just gen like generally pinning his hopes on Ben. I think there will be something more specific to it. And I guess the reason why I think that is I keep on thinking of the books that we see. Yeah, I think there's going to be there's going to be something that he discovered that made him change his understanding of the Force. Yeah. Um, but again, that was something that he discovered. He went to Arctu after all of this went down, right? Yeah. So we're, we're definitely going to get an expansion of the Force law, but I don't know if it's going to pertain to like a specific thing that he was dead certain that Ben was. Yeah. Um, I'm so like intrigued. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. I can't wait. And it will be interesting because obviously we still have this, 
EW article to come on Kylo. And if it is a thing, then you might find it is actually raised there as well. So if it's mm-hmm. raised there, then I'll take it more seriously. But yeah, yeah. For, for now, it's just a fun idea. Like, it's really funny to see people discuss it, like, on general, like, YouTube Star Wars channels. Because people are freaking out. Because there's not much nuance to how people often approach these things. So when there's the suggestion that Ben Solo is the chosen one, they think, oh, that means they're wiping away the prequels. That means Anakin wasn't the chosen one. And I don't for a moment think they'd do that. I no, don't that doesn't make any that sense to do that. No. Like, I'm pretty sure that George Lucas was adamant that Anakin was the chosen one. Yeah. I, I think if you wreck on that idea and say, oh no, Anakin wasn't the chosen one, you're basically shitting on the first six films and i think yeah. people would reject it furiously so exactly like i don't i don't think that's what they're going for <laughs> no yeah so yeah oh, we will yeah. see um right is there anything else we want to say on this particular story um no i don't think so except i know that there's a raised parentage specific article later on but all of this stuff, again, points away from Ray Skywalker, in my opinion, because yeah. um, I think a lot of that theory was kind of based on the idea that Luke would be happy to see Ray. Mm. Um, and after 15 plus years of not seeing his daughter, he, one, doesn't recognize her, according to Daisy, and then Drew is telling her to piss off. <laughs> um, that makes Luke Skywalker a real jerk. It really does. Which is an understatement. So, um, yeah. yeah, it just points away further in my opinion. Yes, I can at least understand I, I don't for a moment believe Ray is a solo but I can see kind of where people are coming from when people talk about that warm embrace that Leia gave Ray when she got off the Falcon at the end of The Force Awakens. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that's maternal but I can understand why others might read it in that way. You know, but there's nothing Same. paternal in Luke going, ah, piss off. <laughs> you know, and then if they have him behave like that to her only to like half an hour later reveal, oh no, he's actually your dad. It would just, it feels like such a false note to me. I don't see them doing it. It would just make him look so horrible. It really would. <laughs> They're not going to do that to Luke. No. It's like way to shit on his legacy. Um, <laughs> right. Then we have the next story. Um, yeah, would you like to read the next story? The next story is about Finn and Rose, and it's basically yeah. shedding insight on, on their stories. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so I will give my voice a rest and allow you to read. Yep. Um, it says, We've already seen John Boyega's conscience-stricken stormtrooper try to escape from a life of wrongdoing. In The Last Jedi, Finn finds himself ready to abandon the good guys too. You can't blame him. He has been critically wounded by a lightsaber attack that still burns and has never quite healed. He watched Han Solo, another reluctant hero, die horribly at the hands of his own son. Finn did his part. Starkiller base has been destroyed. Now he wants out. It got really real for him, Boyega tells EW, and he just wants to get away and not be involved. His intention in the first place was to go to the Outer Rim. He was always brought back in The Force Awakens, but this is his chance to get away and perhaps find Rey and go off together. He's trying to do that at first, but it's not going to be that easy for him. Along with Luke Skywalker and Rey, the Stormtrooper formerly known as FN-2187 becomes a key part of The Last Jedi's Never Meet Your Heroes theme after befriending Rose Tico, a resistance mechanic played by Star Wars newcomer Kelly Marie Tram. 
everyone in the space throughout the galaxy would have heard about the young Jedi who discovered her powers and defeated Kylo Ren and the young former stormtrooper who helped save the day, Boyega says. He's a hero to people like Rose who fight for their resistance because their homes have been destroyed by the First Order. Finn's boast to Han Solo from the previous adventure has come true. When Rose first meets Finn, that's how she views him, Tran says. He is a big deal. Rose, meanwhile, is not. A nobody in the shadows. She is a gearhead, a grease monkey, a behind-the-scenes jack-of-all-trades, while her sister Paige is a dynamic one. A resistance gunner who fights on the front lines alongside resistance luminaries like Poe Dameron, Oscar Isaac's X-Wing ace. Poe Dameron is super cool. Finn's super cool. Even though Rose is good at what she does, she's not known, Tran says. She's not cool. She's this nobody, this background player, who is what, which is what makes her interesting. She's not the best. She's not royalty. She's someone who's just like everyone else. But Finn, she's starstruck by him. He appreciates the adoration for a second, but when he meets her, Finn is trying to escape the whole war. He's trying to leave, Boyega says. And she comes in and basically gives him a depiction of himself that wasn't necessarily true. But he likes the impression Rose has, the vision she has of him. Seeing himself through her eyes gives the ex-stormtrooper something to live up to. It's now an opportunity for him to be the best he can be. He has to make a decision, and Rose is there to help him make that choice, Boyega says. It shouldn't be a spoiler to reveal that, yes, she helps Finn stay in the fight, although the urge to get out is still burning inside him. Also, living up to Rose's high expectations is not a task anyone can truly fulfill. I think hearing you read it out again, and Mm -hmm. actually processing it and absorbing it, I actually feel like this direction for the story, and for Finn in particular, it makes more sense to me now. So remember the first time I read it, I was like, oh, come on, do we really need to see Finn like running from the First Order again and looking out for himself? Because basically that was mostly what he was doing in The Force Awakens. I think, yeah, the initial part is probably just like when you first see Finn, right? I don't think it's going to be the bulk of his arc. Well, like it says, he meets Rose and through his interactions with her, he makes his decision about what he's going to do and they work together. Oh yeah, no, totally. Well, that's kind of like the realisation I had. And it was also the realisation that while it's easy to perceive that act of Finn's in standing up to Kylo Ren and taking the lightsaber and fighting him even though he knew it was hopeless, it's easy to perceive that as like a selfless act. It's also important to remember that that was only a selfless act in relation to Rey. He wasn't like making a stand against Kylo Ren to say like ah we're the resistance we're never going to bow to you Kylo Ren slash First Order it was Mm. purely about trying to save and protect Rey in that moment so when I have that in mind it does make sense that when he wakes up his first instinct is just to pick up from that moment and to go and find Rey again and to run off with Rey because that was really where his mind was it wasn't like I'm a hardcore resistance warrior and I'm totally bought into this cause like he hasn't really had enough exposure to the resistance to be at that stage yet. So mm-hmm. I guess that's why it's important that he forms this close bond with Rose because she's clearly someone who's very deeply entrenched in the resistance in a way that Ray never was because Ray had almost nothing to do the, with the resistance. She spent like two days with them and then went off to find Luke. Mm. Um, whereas Rose, she clearly chose to join the resistance for like very personal ideological reasons because John mentions like that Rose and Paige, they're people whose home was destroyed by the First Order. So that gives them a very personal reason to get involved in the fight. 
Um, and yeah, so that for me, it says that Rose and Paige, those are the kind of people who, by interacting with them, Finn can think, oh, actually, the resistance is a cause worth fighting for, and I do actually want to work for them and help them. This isn't just about me and Ray, it's about something much bigger. Right, exactly. Like, I feel like Rose's character is being positioned as the anima in his hero's journey. Mm. Um, kind of like Leia was to Luke in A New Hope, I guess, that that there's like an impetus there um, that she's like providing him with a reason and motive to stick around and actually care about this. Um, so yeah, he, he and Ray were kind of like sidekicks in each other's journey in The Force Awakens, but I feel like this is going to be that part of his journey here where he really makes a stand and decides what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, Cause I agree with you. It, it sounds initially like it's going to be a bit of regression for him, but he has to have a reason to stick around with the resistance more than just saving Ray. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be clear that she's off doing her own thing now. So he has to have something else. Yeah. So I'm excited to see their dynamic. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I think the vibe I'm getting from across all of this is that I'm really impressed by how much clarity Ryan approached the characters with. He really seems to have looked at their psychologies in a way that people often don't do with Star Wars. Mm. He seems to have thought, okay, how is this person feeling as a person, not just like as a function of the plot, which is so important because that was brought up in the previous article about Ray and Luke as well. Like Luke mm-hmm. needs a reason to be on that island. He can't just arbitrarily be on the island. There has to be a character motivation behind that. And that's so refreshing to me that Ryan clearly had all these questions in his mind and forced himself to come up with plausible answers to them. Yeah, I mean, they're even talking about why Rose is part of the resistance. Yeah. So they're giving her that backstory and motive too, that she's been influenced and affected by this war and her sister as well. So I'm guessing that it will kind of play into their dynamic too. Yeah. Like, we've talked before about what might happen to Paige, we don't know, but she's obviously part of the story for a reason so yeah and i also like that Paige is there because it it does drive home to me that rose isn't just there to serve finn's plot she also has her own story and right. her own like motivating forces yeah. yeah which is so important because i have seen some people say that they're a bit unsettled by the vibe coming off some of these articles that the female characters are just there to motivate the male ones i think it was an unfortunate part of the editorializing that the two articles this and the one before it was framed as like the female character was saving or redeeming the male character yeah Uh, which is obviously fine as a trope to use but it's just if there's a pattern and you've got the two female leads doing that i expect the actual film to subvert the tropes and they'll have their own motives and destinies obviously ray Ray absolutely will and i hope it's true for rose too yeah Um, it was just that pattern that was like a little bit uh but again, that's probably just down to journalists writing things up quickly and not realising that there's a bigger picture that's being painted there. Yeah. And it's also important to remember that I really doubt that the character dynamics and things that are being discussed in these articles, I strongly doubt that they're very illuminating for anything that happens beyond the first act. Right, exactly. So they're setting up the premise. So yes, Ray is there to get Luke out of his funk, but that's not actually going to be a purpose in the story. Like it's what it's leading you to believe. Yeah, exactly. That's not going to be the sum of her role. It's not like the big moment of triumph at the end of the film is going to be like, oh, finally, got Luke to leave the island. Diamond. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be super lame. 
I think that's just what people are worried about, right? Like they read that and they're like, oh, is that it? Of course it's not it, but people just want the story, so they're impatient. Yeah, exactly. Which is understandable. I'm very impatient too. Um, yeah, I love the vibe getting off Rose here. Like I've really oh, liked same. everything for getting on Rose, to be honest. Um, and she has the most amazing hairstyle for, mm-hmm. from the new picture of her. Yeah, like, I, I like just... it more the more I see it. <laughs> Yeah, I really like the the way that Kelly is describing her. Like, oh, she's not cool, but you've got these like resistant celebrities that she's trying to work with mm. <laughs> um, and make an impact herself. Like, I, yeah. she's going to go on a journey of self discovery here too, right? Like, that's yeah. that much is obvious from the way they're setting it up. So, yeah, that's gonna be awesome. And I like that they are exploring like the everyman trope from so many different angles. Because, like, Ray, from a certain point of view, she is, like, the every woman. Like, she starts off as, like, a nobody, very, like, humble, very poor. But then she, like, reveals these magical powers and she rises to greatness. And she clearly has this grand, illustrious destiny. Um, And with Rose, I think we'll see something kind of similar, but will also be more grounded. Because I don't think Rose is going to be revealed to have the Force, um, for example. Um, Which is basically Star Wars magic. And that's really cool because I think Star Wars has in large part been about people who like both have these special powers and people who do not, but all of them are able to do extraordinary things because of the kind of people they are. And yes, their special abilities and powers can help do shit and look super cool, but that isn't what's truly important. What's important is the person like underneath all that. And I think that's the vibe we're getting off Rose. Is like, okay, it's not like she can force throw people across a room, but she's handy with a spanner and she's very determined and she has the right drive and the right mindset. So she can make a difference and she can like pull things off. And yeah. that's cool. I think Finn and Rose probably will end up being the most relatable characters for most people. Yeah. Because like you say, like the force is kind of a superhero power, so you can find elements of those stories relatable in that the archetypes are very mythological and relate to these bigger ideas of hope and doing the right thing and everything. But Finn and Rose, they're gonna be kind of our eyes into the story. Mm, um, totally. And yeah, to show that they can make a difference and that kind of inspires the people watching it too. So Yeah. Which is really cool. Right, then the next story is on Benicio Del Toro's character, DJ. And essentially, EW illuminates some new details on this character. And I recite. We know that DJ is part of the mission that John Baker's Finn and Kelly Marie Tran's Rose undertake to the wealthy gambling resort city of Canto Bight. But do they bring him there? Do they capture him there? Do they free him there? There's, that's something the film itself will have to reveal. But as part of our cover story, we also got a closer look at the structure Lucasfilm identifies as the exterior of the central casino we've seen in other images. That's something the film itself will have to reveal. But as part of our cover story, we also got a closer look at the structure Lucasfilm identifies as the exterior of the central casino we've seen in other images. With so much money and jewellery on display, and so many powerful figures gathered from throughout the various star systems, the casino is surrounded by law enforcement. There are landing pads for spike-winged speeders, with armoured security officers patrolling the perimeter. It's a perfect place for an unscrupulous figure like DJ to practice his craft, and Del Toro's co-stars did reveal a bit more about his expert skills. We just need a code-breaker, and he's the best in the galaxy. Unfortunately, he's very dodgy, and only in it for financial gain. He doesn't fight for any side, 
Boyega says. In Star's parlance, a hacker is known as a slicer, and this is a side of the law that the movies haven't typically explored. Most of the saga has been devoted to the mystical side of things, the Jedi, the Sith, the Force, rather than the technological aspects George Lucas placed within his sci-fi fantasy. The saga also usually has clear lines between good and evil, but the uncertainty over where DJ stands has a simple explanation. He's neither. To him, the heroes and the villains aren't enemies. They're opponents. Until there's something in it for him. He has distinct opinions. Boyega says, The Resistance bombs the First Order one day, the First Order bombs the Resistance on another. It's an ongoing war that will never end. For him, he's trying to benefit off of that, which doesn't make him the person you want to trust. Tran describes Del Toro's performance as coiled and disturbing. When I was on set with that character, I felt like there was a tiger in the room, and I always had to be watching, she says. Like an animal, at any moment he could do something, and I didn't know what. With, date, with DJ, the unexpected is the best we can expect. <laughs> okay, they're hinting pretty heavily that he's going to betray them here. Yeah. Like, why would you say that you're unexpected and, oh, you never know what he's going to do? It's like, well, yeah, he's, the, he has to get them into trouble to some capacity. So, yeah, they go to Kanto Bite and try to get him to, I don't know, help them break into the First Order or something. And then when they're in the inside, he screws them over. Something yeah, like that. they're laying it on super thick. Um, it's weird. Like, I don't know why they would do that because if it's so unexpected, it's like, okay, the more you say that, <laughs> the more we think something's going to happen. Yeah, maybe it's because the very fact that he betrays them isn't like ever meant to like come as a surprise. Maybe they always go into the deal knowing he's about to like turn on them and betray them at any moment. And it's mm. like this cat and mouse almost, or like constantly trying to anticipate his next move. And make sure that you take like action to countervene that, and to mm. like try and prevent him screwing you over too badly. <laughs> um, right. Because this guy clearly has special skills, so they're dependent on him in that way. So I guess it's a question of, right? How do we keep this guy long enough to use him for what we need him for, but then eject him swiftly enough so that he doesn't have a chance to betray us to the other side just the moment he gets time. <laughs> right. He kind of sounds like a cross, not quite like the same, obviously, but he's like a Han Solo, Blando type figure yeah, at the beginning yeah. anyway, that is just out for himself, right? Um, and he probably won't be revealed to have the secret heart of gold like Han, but I don't know, I, I like those morally grey characters, because yeah. that's the reality of war, right? You have the resistance, you have the First Order, and then you have people who are just trying to look after themselves. Yeah. So... No, it's very realistic. Like, you are going to find people in the middle, so it makes sense. Um, I guess the only other thing I'd like to um, mention is um, there's obviously a reference to so many powerful figures gathered from throughout the various star systems on, on Canto Byte. Like, do you think there's any chance of General Huck showing up on Canto Byte? Because there was all that talk based on the behind-the-scenes reel where there's the guy driving the fancy speeder, and people were thinking, oh, could that be Hux? And I guess there's a chance. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not attached to it. I am. <laughs> no. Oh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, not in the sense that, like, I'll go into The Last Jedi and Hux isn't on Canto Bite. And I'll be like, oh, no. I don't know. It doesn't strike me as likely, but it's possible. Yeah. But, no, I, mean... I think it'd be a nice touch. Give Donal more to do. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it, it heightens the risk, right? If 
Finn's got like a chance of being spotted. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because Hux would definitely know who he is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, right. Is there anything else you'd like to say on this? I think so. Okay. Cool. Right, then we move into the latest story to be released because we still have yet to see any sign of that story on the dark side. Boo. Hopefully it will turn up soon. <laughs> um, and this one is on the question of Ray's family and basically how like some of the big mysteries of The Last Jedi are approached and explored in the film. So yeah, would you like to read this one out, Kirsty? Yeah. Um, Ray's family has become the rosebud of Star Wars. Who are they? What's their significance? How will that revelation shape her destiny? I've got to say, speaking personally, that's not how I see it. Yeah, it's not how I see it, but there's a point to it because for many people, this is like the the question to come out from The Force Awakens. So I think that's pretty sad, but it's just the way it is. Yeah, I just fundamentally disagree with that message of the film, but obviously, yeah, it's not for everyone. Um the mystery was introduced in The Force Awakens when Daisy Ridley's desert scavenger touched the ancestral Skywalker lightsaber and saw a series of visions, including a starship abandoning a much younger version of herself on the junkyard world of Jakku. Now The Last Jedi will finally resolve the question that fans have been debating for two years. This article obviously won't spoil anything. The theory I'm holding on to is still this one. He meant the Kenobi theory. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in EW's interview for our cover story on The Last Jedi, writer and director Ryan Johnson did offer his thoughts on a related question. How much does Ray's past matter, or is this a tangent fans have obsessed over unnecessarily? To me, it's important insofar as it's important to her, Johnson says, and I think it's important to her in terms of what is her place in all of this? What's going to define her in the story? She was told in the last movie that the answer's not in the past, it's looking forward but she's showing up on this island to talk to this hero from the past. Let's just pause for a line from Eugene O'Neill's A Moon for the Misbegotten. There is no present or future, only the past happening over and over again now. If Ray understands her origin, it can be a map for her future, a guide to avoiding whatever fear or mistakes have come before. In that way, Johnson says Ray does need to know, and so do we. You can be told the answer's not in the past, but I think she still has a lingering hope that she's going to find the thing that's going to say, this is where you belong. This is where you are. I think she still holds on to the thought that where she comes from will help define where she's going. Once was lost. Ridley says Ray will ultimately find the answer and discover that it doesn't matter that much. It won't change who she is, or at least who she wants to be. You can always look for answers, and that doesn't mean that the rest of your life is so easy. It's not like, oh, I know who my parents are, so now everything falls into shape, especially in the Star Wars world. The actress says, Anakin Skywalker had a loving mother, but became the galactic warlord Darth Vader. Solo was the son of Han and Leia, but lost his way in the darkness like his grandfather before. Family gives you the starting point, but the destination is a matter of choice. Still, Ridley agrees that Rey needs to find out about her lineage, at least so she can stop wondering. Yes, it would potentially change her mind or at least give her a little bit more peace in moving forward. But ultimately, what's coming is coming and whatever abilities she has are there. So personally, I think it's less important than even she may think. One thing Ridley has said to expect from The Last Jedi is that no one falls easily onto the good or bad side. There is always potential to change, for better and for worse. What's wonderful is it's not so cut and dry who's good and who's bad. And that's not me saying, oh my god, some people are going to go bad, Ridley says. There's always room for bad people to make good decisions and vice versa. Again, that could be nothing to do with your parents, and it could be everything to do with your parents. 
There's also another new figure in the Star Wars saga who has uncertain origins, but fans have latched onto theories about him the way they have with Rey. Finn's family mystery. All we know about John Boyega's ex-stormtrooper Finn is that he was expendable for the First Order, probably less valuable than the white armour he wore into battle. He was a child soldier, taken from wherever he was from and conscripted into their fascist military operation. He didn't even have a name, just numerals and a number, FN2187. Will we find out more about Finn's family? Yeah, definitely, Boyega tells EW, but it's not explored in depth in episode 8. But he definitely has a past that is troubled. I don't know how all that's going to play out. Sounds like more about Finn may be forthcoming in episode 9, but the actor suggested that The Last Jedi will explore the character's recent history. We'll learn more about his past and where he came from, and potentially why he made the decision to escape that he made, Boyega says. I'm also very curious. The question that needs to be answered is why he decided to leave as a stormtrooper in the first place. We will find out just a little bit more about him. Even though they're separated for much of the film, Finn and Rey remain on somewhat parallel journeys of self-discovery. The big thematic push and pull in the movie is the past and what role the past has in moving us forward into the future, Johnson says. Wow, there's a lot to unpack in <laughs> this particular part of the coverage. Um, I know for a fact that some of us were kind of hoping against hope that there might be something more definitive here, like maybe yeah. a debunking of Ray Skywalker. But yeah, that, that was clearly way too much to hope for because they're still talking in very vague terms. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it matters, but just to Ray and... <laughs> Once she realises, she realises it doesn't matter that much. I mean... <laughs> it's like talking in riddles, basically. <laughs> Which is typical I, Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, that kind of is like that Ray's... I guess you can boil everything down to a plot device, really. But I think Ray's past is supposed to be about... Yeah, she'll find out when she's ready. But when she's ready, she won't need to know anymore. If that yeah. makes sense. Like... It, it won't matter to her at that point because she won't be defined by her past in the way that she has been. Yeah. Um, because she's made choices and she's moved forward and discovered another kind of belonging. So like if anything, I think this points towards potentially having like dark side origins because it shows that you don't have to be defined by where you come from. Yeah. But, but ultimately it could just be like no one, like there could just be randoms who dropped her off on Jakku because they didn't care. What do you think? Yeah, I, it, to me, all this stuff, it does point more towards random. There's obviously an element of confirmation bias. <laughs> I have seen people who have managed to construe this article as further support for Ray Skywalker. So, so good for those people. Like We all have our own perspectives and stuff. But yeah, for me, this all does just stay say random even more. Especially like you say, all that stuff about not really letting your parentage define you and being able to make choices that have absolutely nothing to do with your parents like choices just based on your own principles and based on your own vision of who you want to be as a person um so yeah like that to me it says either like completely innocuous unimportant parents with nothing of note about them beyond the fact that they were assholes and abandoning their small child on a hostile world or that they were darksiders of some description maybe mm. filled by luke which has been my pet theory for like a year now. Um, but it's, I know it's a weird pet theory. <laughs> well, I guess eventually, if they are supposed to be of significance, there would have to be something that would make Ray realise who they were. Yeah. So if it's something like that, then that's a way for her to actually find out, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I don't... I, we've talked before about how 
Kylo and Rey are positioned as foils in the story, like thematically. So if he's weighed down by his legacy and feels like he's been pushed down this path because of who his grandfather was and everything and how, the, you know, he's from the Skywalker lineage, so he has to do things a certain way, raise the foil to that and we'll offer him a point of view that says, actually, we all have choices and I'm making the right ones and there's nothing stopping you changing your path as well. Yeah. So... Yeah, that is a really good point. Like because Kylo is clearly a character who feels completely like bogged down by his lineage. Like because he's the dude who's literally like praying to the melted mask of his grandfather who he never met. Mm-hmm. Um, like so he clearly places a lot of stock in blood. So then by having Ray as a counterexample to that, by having Ray as someone who she dreams of getting her family and finding her family, but then in the end she finds that they really didn't ma- don't matter too much in themselves and they certainly don't define the kind of person she is, then that is a fantastic lesson for Kylo to learn. So it's like, okay, your grandfather might have been this Dark Lord of the Sith and done all this terrible shit, but that doesn't mean you need to. <laughs> so I'm not sure that's a lesson Kylo understands at the moment. Yeah, exactly. It's the opposite right now. Yeah. Um, I really like as well that they brought up the Finn's past as well because, as the article says, everyone's been kind of fixated on Ray, and yeah. I know that TFA doesn't present Finn's past as a mystery, but it still matters. Yeah, sure. No, I, I was really happy to see that, and it was interesting to see how John talked about it. It's like from his answers, he clearly implies we get some stuff on on it but i don't think that we're getting anything like the focus that we're going to get on ray's background but that kind of leads me to hope that we're going to get more substantial stuff on finn in episode nine in terms of like where does finn come from who are finn's family like how does finn feel about his past because i don't think that's going to be at the forefront for him in the last jedi but it's good to see that it's on john's mind and that there's been conversations about it and that is something that he knows is going to be explored at some point. So, yeah. It's all yeah, stuff. it could be something like they go to the planet that he grew up on and he has memories and shares them with Rose or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like, something that's quite easy to slip in that develops the character more, but it's always stuff that they can include in a book at a later date if they really want to expand on it. Yeah. Or they could be, like, going around and, like, on Canterbite, we know there's children there. We've seen, like, in the behind the scenes, an adorable street urchin. Um, so like they could see the kids running around they could both reflect on their own childhoods and stuff and more information could come out that way I'd like something like that yeah because that would be a good way for them to talk about Rose's past and how her home was destroyed by the First Order right? yeah exactly so it needs to be character building for both of them like rather than it just being a one way street kind of thing Mm. so yeah it makes me really excited I'm glad to see that they're not just making it the Ray show that they're also acknowledging that Finn has like a past and he comes from somewhere and he has a family is not being forgotten, even if it's not going to get lots of time. Yeah, I like the I they're emphasizing the fact that they are on parallel journeys because this again is something that we've said from the beginning. They are both protagonists. You have two hero journeys going on at the same time, and they're each going to have their own challenges. Yeah. So they'll reunite at some point, but it's more about following them both and seeing what different directions they'll go in because it's obvious that they have quite different destinies even if they're fighting on the same side yeah no totally yeah i love these characters so much (laughs) (laughs) um is there anything else you'd like to say about the article 
Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, like you, I was kind of hoping that there would be a firm answer either way, but a bit. I was spoiled really by the whole Felicity Jones broke one thing that she was like, yeah, I'm definitely not Luke's wife or Ray's mum or whatever. Yeah. But that's a very specific <laughs> thing to debunk. And yes. they're probably not going to do that with Ray Skywalker before the film comes out because they know some people are really into it. So Yeah, they don't want to dash those dreams until, the mo- until they've got the people to buy the movie tickets first. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that's really mean. I, I... Like, I don't relish anyone going in and being disappointed. I'm sure that everyone, to some extent, is going to find aspects of the film disappointing or not what they imagined and so on and so forth. But, Mm. yeah, it's kind of... I guess in fan circles you see insistence on this idea that things have to be this way, otherwise they're awful. You know. Oh, yeah, you see that in absolutely every corner of the fandom as well. Like, every theory has its zealots. Yeah, totally. So, I'm just like... Yeah, you know, I have my preferences, but I'll also live if it doesn't go the way I want it to. I do like the idea of the backstory to the sequel trilogy just being some kind of huge meta-commentary on the state of fandom and obsession with a rigid interpretation of things. I mean, I feel like that's a big part of Carlo's characterization. Oh, totally, yeah. (laughs) I would just love it if like Luke were another example of that, that he also had rigid interpretations of things. And it completely screwed him over because Luke is like the fanboy icon of all mm. fanboy icons. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> no, good guys, bad guys, all kinds of guys of all shades and sizes. <laughs> um, right. Then the final story to discuss is that Jack Fawn has been brought in to work on the screenplay for episode nine. <sighs> Okay, so this was the big news of, like, middle of last week? Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like old news now, to be honest. Because oh, it I've does, so because other people up. have had podcasts that they've actually put out since then, and we've been not so regular with our coverage. We've been living life, <laughs> which is good. Um, right, so then we get this. It's from Hollywood Reporter. So they had an exclusive. It's very exciting. Star Wars Episode Nine is getting a rewrite. Jack Fawn, the British scribe who wrote the upcoming Julia Roberts' Jacob Tremblay movie, Wonder, has been tapped to work on the Star Wars instalment that is to be directed by Colin Trevorrow. Trevorrow and his writing partner, Derek Connolly, have been working on the script, but sources say a fresh set of eyes was needed. It is unclear how extensive the rewrites will be. Ryan Johnson wrote and directed... Sorry. Ryan Johnson wrote and directed Star Wars The Last Jedi, the eighth instalment of the sci-fi fantasy that opens December 15th. Force Awakens stars Daisy Ridley, John Baker, Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac are expected to return, but you never know who a Star Wars movie may kill off, so don't get too comfortable with the ninth instalment eyeing a production start in January 2018. The movie has a scheduled release date of May 24th, 2019. Fawn is the creator or co-creator of several British television shows, dramas and thrillers, including The Fades, The Cast-Offs, The Last Panthers and National Treasure. While those don't sound like the Star Wars wheelhouse, his writing on two more recent programmes brings him closer. His Dark Materials, the BBC's adaption of the fantasy by Philip Pullman, and Philip K. Dick's Electric Sheep for Channel 4. He is repped by UTA. Uh, Yeah, so how did this news strike you, Kirsty, when you first saw it? What was your reaction? I was pleased with this news. Same. <laughs> I mean, we have made no secret of our concerns about Colin Trevorrow, um, and we've 
scene from other changes of the guard that Lucasfilm will step in and make changes if they need to. So uh, presumably this means that they looked at what he and Connolly had written and decided that they needed someone else to come in and help. And obviously we don't know to the extent, like it might be a rewrite, it might be just kind of things changed here and there. Um, Mm. But I'm comforted because um, I know a lot of people are thinking of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which Jack Bourne wrote. I wasn't the biggest fan of that. Well, I, I haven't seen the the play in production, but I've seen, I've read the script, and I'm just like, uh, yeah, it, it's not my favorite. Um, even though I was a big Harry Potter fan, but I really liked other things that he's he's done. I really liked Skins. Um, I really liked the This England spinoffs on TV, mm-hmm. and I am really excited about the BBC production of His Dark Materials because yeah. I'm a bigger fan of that than I am of Star Wars, if people <gasps> can believe. Never. So, Do you have like a secret His Dark Materials podcast that I don't I know don't. about? No, <laughs> I just enjoy that separately. That's and fine. I, it's kind of nice not to be in a fandom for something like that that I really love because I don't want it to get ruined. <laughs> <laughs> that is very understandable. So yeah, I'm apprehensive about that because I did not like the movie The Golden Compass. <laughs> I'm guessing most people feel that way. Yeah, that's um, bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm really excited about the new books to come out as well. But um, yeah, I, I'm excited about this because if he was chosen to adapt that, which is just such an amazingly complex, beautiful story, um, I feel good about him being involved in episode nine. Yeah, no, definitely. I actually really like Jack Fawn as a writer and I think he's very talented. Like... So I saw a miniseries he did here in the UK called National Treasure with um, Robbie Coltrane and Julie Walters. It's Mm. quite possibly the least Star Wars thing to ever exist. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a really great drama and it was very compelling and it's all about nuance and ambiguity and it makes you question what actually happened, who did what, like which version of the truth can I trust? And Mm. it's very nuanced and intelligent and it was really really well written with great character dynamics and yeah i just can't praise it highly enough and essentially it was strong in all the areas that i feel trevorrow is weak in (laughs) so i'm comforted from the fact that they seem to have recognized the deficiencies of trevorrow and Connolly as a writing partnership and brought in someone with a skill set that complements theirs to help and to polish and to improve things because, yeah, I, I need this movie to succeed and I need it to be good. So it's better to fix things now than to look at the dailies like three months in and go, it's not good. So, yeah, they're doing things the right way around. Exactly. They're being proactive and we saw that with Han Solo as well. So not worried at all. Exactly. So I'm pleased by this news. Um, but yeah, oh, and we should also mention that we're seeing each other tomorrow. So yay! yay. <laughs> so if there is a shock trailer announcement, which I'm becoming very doubtful of now. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to happen now. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But um, if there is, then we will be able to gush over it together, which would be very nice. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's us all wrapped up, to be honest, now. We're keeping the show quite short. Like We're still like on a really weird like summer schedule thing where we're like mainly stick into the big news because yeah we're both busy and there's lots going on but in a few weeks or so we think should settle down and we should be back to normal in terms of the format and in terms of actually answering people's questions mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff so yeah you have that to look forward to 
yeah, I'll be back in the US next week. So should be back to a normal schedule where we can do it weekly again. It's so weird, isn't it? That when we're on the same landmass, it's curiously harder to actually <laughs> podcast and stuff. But I when guess. there's thousands of miles separating us, it's like, oh yeah, chill. I guess it's yeah. because we got so much into the routine of being thousands of miles apart. Like when we're sunny in the same time zone and stuff, it's like, what? How did yeah. that start? <laughs> it works quite well for me usually because it's just Saturday morning. I get up, make some coffee and we podcast. So. Exactly. Yeah. The magic of the time difference. <laughs> um, but right. On that note, I'm Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening, and please do tune in next time. Bye. Bye. Right. Actually, we are very happy and jolly right now, because literally just as we were having like the post-show chat and like rambling about nonsense, Kirsty said, oh my god, it's arrived, or something to that effect. Um, because the final EW article has manifested itself, and it is a thing of beauty that we need to talk about. Um... Kirsty, I sense that you might be more sensible and calm than me, so do you maybe want to read it out? <laughs> sure. Uh, let me find it again. Okay. As we close out EW's cover story in The Last Jedi, let's take a trip into the dark side of the galaxy. Most of the previous stories have focused on the heroes of the Star Wars saga and the new film's theme about the risks and rewards of meeting those you idolise. Here's a look at some of the villains and a tease of what to expect from them when the film opens on December 15th. Kylo Ren. The aspiring Sith, oh god, pet peeve, <laughs> let his last bit of light slip away when he drove his janky handmade oh. lightsaber into the heart of his father, Han Solo. Lies! But there was no... <laughs> Deception. <laughs> but there was no victory for Kylo Ren as he sank into the abyss. Instead, he was humiliated by a scavenger girl of all things. He's definitely been knocked off base, says the last Jedi writer-director Ryan Johnson. The defeat that he had at the end of The Force Awakens, but even bigger than that, his huge defining act, which, spoiler alert, is the murder of his father, that's the more interesting thing to dive into. How has he dealt with that in his head? Where is he at in terms of that act, and what does that mean for him? Johnson said Ben Solo's shift to darkness is symbolic of the treacherous road through adolescence that Star Wars often explores. Kylo represents kind of the rebellious anger that you feel during that period. Honestly, sometimes it's a healthy desire to push away from the place that you know, from the things that you came from. But he obviously does it in an extreme that's not healthy at all. He said Kylo and Rey are two halves of the dark and light. <laughs> Among their shared interests, she's an expert pilot. And in this film, we'll see him maneuvering his own starship, the Tile of Silencer, which is a variation on his grandfather, Darth Vader's old ship. Han Solo. Yes, he is back, in a way. Kylo Ren's murder of Han Solo also makes Rey's contempt for him much more personal. He's no longer just a random madman terrorising the galaxy. Rey has grudge. He stole from her the father figure she'd been searching for her whole life. She just doesn't understand Kylo, Daisy Ridley says. When all she wanted was parents, why would a person who has parents do that? It's so beyond comprehension, it's ridiculous. So she has grief for the loss, and then there's anger. To be honest, she couldn't understand doing something like that, let alone to your parents. Although his character is no more, Han Solo's legacy lives on. Han, the ghost of, well, not literally, Johnson says, interrupting himself with a laugh, I don't want to misguide. I have to be very careful with my words here. 
that a figurative ghost of Han had to be present throughout this entire film. Captain Phasma. Those who wanted the silver-armoured stormtrooper to get more screen time in Force Awakens will be getting their wish this time. Gwendolyn Christie's merciless First Order officer, Captain Phasma, has a more significant role in The Last Jedi. Gwendolyn Christie is one of my favourite people, and you get to see her in action, which I think is going to be really fun, Johnson says. That character is just so damn cool looking. Like, okay, let's see what we can do with her. Let's put her in action and see what happens. In the trailer, we can see her leading an assault on a rebel base, and John Boyega promises we'll see her in a showdown with his ex-stormtrooper Finn. The two last saw each other when he was stuffing her down a garbage chute into a trash compactor. The Last Jedi won't necessarily explore new backstory for Phasma, but her broader tale will be told in two new books. Chewbacca. Okay, he's clearly not a villain, but there is darkness surrounding the Wookiee in this film. Chewbacca, played by Juna Suatamo, fully taking over the role from original actor Peter Mayhew, is mourning his best friend Han Solo, and that grief is not easy to articulate despite his proficiency with roars and groans. We aren't going to see a depressed Chewie, but we might encounter one who is a little more volatile than usual. Johnson says things will be okay for him, ultimately. Chewie's doing alright. It's tough. It was obviously a big loss for him, but you know, he's Chewie, he's resilient, Johnson says. He's got broad wookie shoulders, and he also has a new mission. He's got Rey, and she's someone that Han, to a certain extent, handed the keys to. So I think that helps. It could be worse. If Chewie was just unemployed... Home. Things might be a little rougher, but he's got a task to focus on, Johnson adds. Also, he's got some new friends. <laughs> There's a picture of <laughs> Chewie with the feather in his mouth. So people have been speculating that Chewie eats a pork. And then there's stuff about Maz, which I'm not going to read out because it's basically just saying that she's not in the film very much, but what she is in, she has an important role. It sounds so. like she just delivers exposition. Yeah, which is kind of her role in The Force Awakens as well, right? So Yeah. I can't say I'm too excited about Mars, honestly. No, <laughs> don't really care. So let's get um, back to the Kylo stuff. Yeah, which is what we're all really here for. That is really interesting and fascinating, I must say. Yeah, like, this is all stuff that makes sense, right? That is talking about how he was humiliated because Ray was untrained and everything, and that. Well, this this stuff about the adolescence is super interesting to me because. We've talked before about Robert Bly, who Ryan Johnson has said is an influence on his writing for The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. And that's that's about these ideas of masculinity and anger um, in adolescence and how it can, if, if it's an extreme and if it's repressed in some way, which it kind of sounds like that's what ha- was happening to Ben Solo in terms of the dark and the light, right? You repress that side of him, um, it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah. So this is really great to read yeah. um so there's the idea that like yes it's healthy to have some level of anger and to kind of push away from your parents and make your own path in life but he's gone too far yeah. and then that's followed by him saying that kylo and ray are two halves of the dark and light that's that's clearly something that's built up as the imagery in the force awakens but i'm very encouraged to see that that's going to be explored in the last jedi more because yes you're going to follow that by Daisy saying that Ray doesn't understand Kylo and it's become personal between them and she just can't understand how he's done something. That kind of tells you that that's going to be something that's answered to an extent in this film, yeah. that she's going to start understanding him and sympathizing with him, even though she's angry at first. Yeah. No, it's it's more than I could have ever dreamed of. Because <laughs> no, there's an exaggeration. Um, but yeah, this is all really great stuff and 
I know that some people were kind of like doubting how important the dynamic between Ray and Kylo was going to be going forward because they weren't talking about it. But kept on saying again and again, this is not the kind of thing they're going to talk about in detail. Um, so based on that expectation, which is really the expectation that they were going to say nothing about this at all, I'm thrilled that they're acknowledging it as much as they are here by basically giving a sense of the starting point for these characters and how they relate to each other. Because I'd already heard like whispers and spoiler stuff about like Kylo bearing a grudge against Rey and wanting to take his revenge for his humiliation on Starkiller Base, blah blah blah. But we hadn't really heard this stuff about how Rey relates to Kylo. And while it makes perfect sense from a character point of view that she's just baffled by him and in disbelief like how could you kill your father this doesn't make any sense like that makes complete sense for a character perspective we haven't heard that from an official source or from any of the actors and so yeah it's really thrilling to see like daisy come out with that mm-hmm. yeah i'm really happy with this yeah and i must say hearing ryan johnson literally say that kylo and ray are two halves of the dark and light that really does make me think that the whole space bear, the panda thing, that is about Kylo and Rey. Oh, yeah, that is a nice confirmation of that, isn't it? Because we speculated before that was supposed to allude to like the yin-yang imagery of yeah. the dark side and the light. Um, and obviously that's linked to like pandas. And yeah. we've had J.J. Abrams saying similar things in the various things that he's talked about with The Force Awakens, like true desperate pieces and all that. Yeah. So, Interesting. <laughs> It's fan dubbed dozy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all this shit is good shit, and it makes me very happy indeed. Um, yeah, like, and <laughs> I guess the the only other thing to say here really is that Adam Driver is striking in his absence. So they're talking about Kylo Ren, but they're having the other actors talk about Kylo Ren rather than the guy who's actually playing him, which. It might have just been because Adam was out walking the dog when Anthony Breslican <laughs> tried to call him. But, yeah, it's very interesting that they're not really letting him talk about his own character. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess that is interesting because, I mean, inevitably at some point we're going to get him talking on the press tour. Um, I'm so interested to hear him talk about the Han Solo stuff as well. Yeah. Because I, I know that the way it's framed in the article is like, oh, he's snuffed out that last little bit of light. But we know that that's not actually what happened. Yeah, just um, like we know that Kylo is not an aspiring Sith. Like, yeah. Anthony Presnikin is fixated with that. I could swear every time Kylo is mentioned, it's framed in that way. <laughs> it's so bizarre to me. <laughs> I guess it's because Vader was a Sith, so it's like, oh, he aspires to be like Vader, therefore he aspires to be like a Sith. But yeah. that's never, that's not something, like, he's not following Snoke because Snoke's a Sith. Like, that's not. <laughs> Something in The Force Awakens. We sound like such nerds, but like, um, actually, yeah, <laughs> I think you'll find he's a dark sider, but he's not a Sith. I'm actually <laughs> super successful entertainment weekly journalist. You're wrong. A uh, you just know people cult. are tweeting him about it right now. Oh, I know for sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I, I cannot bear grudges against Anthony Brosnikin after this. I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't bear grudges to him. I just like, you know, they're talking about how. How has Han's death, the fact that he killed him, affecting Kylo? Because obviously it's not going to be, like, forgotten. But they're accompanying that with all these images of him looking so sad. Yeah. It's like he's not just, like, become a badass now. Yeah, exactly. He's looking sad and exhausted. So, 
Yeah. And also very pretty, if I might may say so. so. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, the Phasma stuff, they are really building up this showdown between her and Finn. They really are. It's like I think they have to, I guess, because you have to take Phasma seriously again. Yeah. <laughs> no trash like, factor thing. It's like what else is there to care about when it comes to Phasma? <laughs> well that's the thing, she has to be that foil for Finn, but I don't know. I'm just very interested to see how they build her up and make her a worthy opponent for him because I can't find her that scary. I guess the the Ganesh show her like storming into this rebel base and like killing loads of people and being a badass or whatever, but it's like, yeah, okay, you can keep projecting that image of her, but that's really not what the Force Awakens gave us. She was like a bumbling idiot. She ruined everything. <laughs> yeah, she didn't achieve anything really. She just screwed everything up. <laughs> yeah, I guess at the beginning she follows Kylo's orders to then order her troops to kill those <laughs> villagers, but that's about it. What a effing badass. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Uh, are you okay to leave it there, or is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, I think that's about it, so okay. yeah, I guess this is the start of more interesting coverage to come, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs>